Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. My name is Ben Jackson and as always I'll be your host. And this week we're glad to welcome back Joris and Scott is also alongside me. How are you guys doing this evening? Hi guys, hello everyone, welcome yeah, back Yeah, better Joris. than uh, two weeks ago for sure and uh, saw some cracking goals this weekend so um, all good. Of course we also had some sad moments, uh, we will go now again I guess already. Yeah, so... Before we kind of get into the roundup uh, for this week, we got, I guess we can say, guys, the news that people, it was, it was, com- it was coming in a sense that we knew this day would arrive. We all hoped that it wouldn't arrive so soon, and we hoped that maybe a miracle would happen. But unfortunately, um, Circle of Rouge goalkeeper Miguel Van Dam uh, lost his life to leukemia uh, last week. Um, at the beginning of the week, it was announced, I think it was Tuesday or something. And I don't know, it just kind of, everything kind of just felt really low at that point. Um, he had been diagnosed with, I believe, back in 2016. He'd just come back off the back of playing most of the games for Circle in the second tier. Um, so he had kind of broken through from the youth team. He joined, I think, when he was like 16, 17, uh, joined Circle of Blues. Played a load of games, um, kind of broke into the first team during that uh, 2015-16 season in the second tier. It was just during like one of those, they do, I know many people probably know, like before the season, like pre-season tests and stuff. And they found that he did have leukaemia. Um, it was, I think, when they announced them, this is quite a strange thing that's happened. But treatment happened. Um, and yeah, it looked like he had overcome it it looked like it had been cleared and he was kind of declared cured after some treatment um but unfortunately it just kept coming back i think since that first diagnosis to to now obviously i think he only managed to get back on the pitch a couple of times uh, i think it was in 2019 during the playoffs uh, he got back in between the uh, between the sticks as they say uh, but unfortunately it was last september i think we reported on it that um they said that treatment was no longer possible um for him this came quite soon after he knew that he was going to have a child, which is just like absolutely heartbreaking. And despite that, he was still, he turned up for lots of things. He came on during the derby uh, to take the kind of ceremonial kick. He's very active doing interviews and all that. He was seen around and stuff. And clearly he's just absolutely loved by everyone in, in the game in Belgium. And especially at the club at Circle of Bruges, you could see he was someone that was really respected and they're really in this fight with him together. He's very active on on the Instagram, sharing kind of pictures of his child, his baby that he had, which you can tell was just really special for him to have got that experience of seeing his child being born. I think that's one of the things he said he really wanted to at least have as much time with his child as he possibly could and make it to the birth. And he did do that and he managed to get there. But unfortunately, it was terminal on this day and he did unfortunately lose his life. And um, it's just really sad, um, really, really sad. It came as a like, like I said at the beginning, we knew it was it was going to come at some point, but it was still a shock when it did. Seeing someone who, a professional sports people like we look up to them, we don't think that they should ever be ill. They're like the perfect kind of specimens of a human in terms of their fit and healthy and all that. So seeing someone in that position go through what he did, um, it's just heartbreaking. And all of our thoughts, obviously, with his family, uh, with his wife and his baby, um, his daughter, and with everyone at the club. Um, you could see during their game that there was like just a real togetherness and kind of coming together with especially like the younger youth players and players who'd kind of grown up with him around the side. Um, 
Guys, I don't know if you want to add anything to this. I thought I just wanted to kind of lay out what happened and just kind of, yeah, give all of our best wishes to him, his family, the club, and anyone that knew him. I don't know if anybody saw this. Uh, we shared it in our social media, actually, but uh, there was a rather remarkable tribute uh, just before the game at the weekend there um, at the Yam Bridal involving um, all of the circle kind of playing staff and the Ghent playing staff um, got involved in that as well. Um, Miguel Van Damme's family uh, were in attendance. Just an extraordinary kind of pre-match uh, tribute. Uh, that was that was really quite intense. I thought very very dignified funeral on on Saturday morning as well. Uh, the entire uh, circle playing squad were were at that as well. And and for such a kind of public facing uh, game as football is for something that kind of we all feel so invested in. I think when when things like this happen, um, it just kind of underlines how how close knit football is, and that actually you know with it inside clubs. You know things like this. You know, really can 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 be you know absolutely devastating on a personal level as well. Um, and it's been interesting to hear some of the staff at Circle, you know, talking about Miguel's, um, you know, his his courage and his energy and just his, uh, kind of mental approach to to tackling his leukemia his leukemia as well, which I I think will will inspire lots of people. And I, I think it's um. Yeah, it's, it's it's desperately sad, and um, condolences to, to to everyone directly. Yeah, nothing more to add. All all the courage to the family and friends and teammates of uh, of uh, Miguel Handam, and uh, well, yeah, I guess that is uh, all there is to say, really, for us. No, definitely, I think yeah, felt that we couldn't could didn't feel right starting this podcast um, without having that as the first thing because in a way it's just it's bigger than football and hopefully he has he will serve as an inspiration to anyone going through something like that yeah really really sad news and we'll go into the matches now but everyone did their own kind of it was a minute's applause rather than a minute's silence which I think is always there's something about a minute's applause which I quite like and that's what most of the clubs decide to do fans as well unfurling banners um with like kind of marking their respects to the goalkeeper, to the man on the 16th minute, which was a really nice touch to see that. Just seeing the league come together in that sort of way is always kind of nice to see. So we kicked off on Friday, 1st of April. Uh, crazy, isn't it? April. Uh, Birch got already relegated, hosted Club Bruges. Bruges in fine form. Uh, they put them to the sword, winning that one 3-1 behind closed doors. Uh, Zords of Aragem knew that they needed at least a point um, or win would do massively to give them a chance of safety. However, they lost 2-0 to 10 men, St. Tluden. Uh, St. Tluden missing the penalty in that as well. Uh, Mechelen and Quarterlight played a really entertaining 3-2, this one with the hosts, Mechelen, winning it. Oostend and Salang. Salang really had to win this one to stand any chance of staying up, and they almost did. However, they drew 2 all to Oostend. We'll get into that one definitely. Um, Antwerp and Leuven uh, on the Saturday night, Antwerp winning 1-0. I mean, you could just say that most weeks at the moment with Antwerp, that's what they do. Uh, Standard hosted Union. Uh, Union won that one of three goals to one. Circle of Bruges and Ghent in a really emotional match. That one finished two goals apiece and was a great atmosphere and a really good game. Anderlecht absolutely battered Charleroi 4-0. Could have been a lot more. And then Genk beat Erpen 5-0. Uh, Erpen at that point knew they were already safe, so I guess that kind of explains that one. Let's start with Club Bruges against Beerschot. 
um, like I said, behind closed doors, this felt like a, it just felt like we're back in the COVID game sort of times, didn't it, guys? Watching this one just felt like a training match, and it was just really, really easy for Club Rouge. Lejoli, um, the goalkeeper for Beerscott, had a lot of work to do. I think Club Rouge ended up with like 22 shots, 10 of which one target. Made some great saves to keep them in the game. Uh, Scott Olsen had a goal ruled out offside early on. Noah Lang then got back in the scoring books in the 20th minute. Matt Ritz then stole one off of Scott Olsen. Scott Olsen with a shot from the edge of the box that just hit Matt Ritz and went in. Um, I don't know if you get an assist for that. It probably did. Uh, Van Aken then assisted Charles de Ketela. They'll never have an easy goal to score after Van Aken did all the hard work to set him up there. Plethora of more chances for Club Rouge. Um, Jack Hendry made a return. Um, he's been kind of left of, left on the bench by Schleuder since he came in. And he thought, you know what? There's another Scottish player on the other side who I'm going to give a little bit of a boost to. So he gave away a penalty, took out Jan Vandenberg in the box. Lawrence Shankland stepped up, 60th minute to put that one away. And that was it, really. Scott didn't really threaten. Club Bruce just kept going. Comfortable, comfortable win. They ended up with like 72% possession or something ridiculous like that. Uh, they won really good form. And I feel like this was a classic game of a side that has is relegated, nothing to play for. In front of no fans, just what's the, where's the motivation? And you could really see that. Whereas Club Rouge, they've got all the motivation to hunt down Union. And yeah, I guess guys, it was quite yeah, impressive yeah, the, quite unexpected win as well. Of course, as you already touched on. I guess we shouldn't be spending too much time on this one. Um, seven wins in a row for Club Rouge, though. And yeah, Henry, first he got the two, the two red cards that uh, put him out of favor at Schroeder. Now he gets um, some playing time and two minutes later or three minutes later, he already concedes a clumsy penalty. Well, at least he got the playing time now, but uh, I'm not sure if he convinced uh, Schroeder then to, to let him play more often again uh, as well. But uh, we'll see about that later on. For the rest, yeah, um, good win for Club Uge, uh, but uh, nothing unexpected, I suppose. Yeah, I think it's a kind of football equivalent of uh, a lion against a mouse, really, wasn't it, guys? I mean, so utterly dominant, I think, um, were, were, were club in this game um, that, you know, the, the 3-1 scoreline um, doesn't really tell kind of the full story in terms of quite how dominant club were. Um, I completely agree with Yoris. I don't think there's much more we can really say about this game. One thing to mention, maybe in Beershot's part, is... Uh, next season, obviously, when they drop down to to one B, I think having somebody like Lawrence Shankland around could prove very useful to them. I think he could do very well at that level. And I know from his time in in Scotland that when he was playing with top flight sides, he was he was relegated on a couple of occasions, uh, dropped down a division, and um, absolutely smashed the lower division. And I think based on that, Beershot will certainly be hoping that he can recreate that sort of form down in 1B level. And I think he has everything about his game to do very well at that level, actually. So I, I can I can see him being a key figure in them uh, aiming to come straight back next season. Yeah, I think some having keeping someone like him and then maybe refreshing the back line a little bit could do them a world of good because, yeah, defensively they haven't been great and... Yeah, just a little bit of a refresh in the squads that when if they do come straight back up, that they're not just kind of in a similar position where they're having to score a lot of goals um, and they haven't been able to do that. So that's why they've ended up where they are. Uh, Club Rouge keep marching on, like you guys said, kind of expected. Um, just, yeah, they didn't give us much to talk about because it was quite a routine win there. 
Um, let's move on to Saturday's game, uh, which was St. Truden against Zoltvaragem. Scott, I think you watched this one more than I did. I've only kind of seen the highlights, but for what I've looked at kind of the stats and stuff, Zolta had no shots on target, which is just criminal um, considering the position they're in. St. Truden, on the other hand, took a really, really nice finish from Mori Kanate to give them the lead after Christian Bulls had missed a penalty in like the 13th minute, I believe, which you would have kind of, you probably put a lot more money on Christian Bulls to put the penalties away because he has been doing that quite regularly this season. Um, however, it was Kanate who opened the scoring, yeah, 52nd minute. Kind of ball breaks out to him midway inside the Zoltavallagem half, I'd say. He beats one man, drives a little bit further forward and absolutely rockets it into the top left-hand corner. However, they made it more difficult for themselves when 10 minutes later, Volker Janssens was sent off. Uh, despite that, still, Zolta couldn't find a way through, couldn't get a shot on target. Um, and Rocco leads with a really, really nice finish in the 90th minute, curling it kind of from left-hand edge of the box into the top right-hand corner. And yeah, another win for St. Trude, and they're really putting that kind of pressure on to try and get into the playoff two. Um, three wins on the bounce for them. They've kind of peaked at the right time, but it might not be enough. As also arrogant, guys, this result opened the door for Solang to get back into it. Obviously, we know now that didn't happen, but it just feels like such a let-off, given how poor they were in this one, that they've still managed to survive with a game to spare, I guess. Yeah, it's pretty extraordinary, actually, when you look at it like that. And I, I was quite irritated by that that whole sort of the way that panned out this weekend, the way that Sarang, with a, a moment of madness at the end of their game, effectively let Zolta off the hoop without them even having to play eh, that final round of games kind of uh, next weekend, because it could have been really, really interesting eh, had had the ideal scenario played out, from a, certainly from a Sarang eh, perspective. Zolta in the first half were just, were just dreadful, actually actually created literally nothing and actually didn't look interested at all. I mean, they are normally quite slow starters in games. That, that, that goes without saying. But, you know, their, their first half was abs- non-existent is the way to describe it. To be fair, they were better in the second half. They did. They upped, they upped the tempo um, and, and kind of tried to have a go mar- marginally better. I mean, St. Trude were so much better of the two sides throughout the entire game here. A bad penalty miss from, from Brules, actually. Um, really, really nice height for for Bossa, you know, an, an easy save for him. And uh, we don't often compliment VAR, but it was VAR that actually picked up the picked up the pen here and, and spotted the handball. Um, and it was a, a good example of VAR's application for a change. We, we we haven't seen too many lately, but that was definitely one. Um, big Mori Kanate uh, with a really nice strike. And I just want a, a second shout out to Mori. Actually, I don't know. Uh, if anybody spotted, he was wearing one black boot and one white boot uh, this week, um, a kind of yin and yang of football boots, uh, which I quite liked. Um, and the cameras were picking that up uh, quite a lot. There was a lot of chat about that. But yes, yeah, St. Truden bossed this game, actually. And, and uh, often they, they like to work themselves into games to the Canaries, but actually they were really... Um, yeah, they were kind of grabbing the bull by the horns and trying to trying to set the pace, which was nice to see because obviously they have a they have a playoff spot to to fight for, and we will we'll see what happens uh, the way results pan out next weekend. But um, it might happen. Yeah, it might year. again. I, can, I don't think I can add much uh, on this game. I haven't watched too much of it myself, uh, but yeah, indeed, this uh, Sinterada with a deserved win. <laughs> 
It's worth mentioning as well, actually, for those who don't know, that actually St. Trudon are on their best run of form since 1965, uh, which is an extraordinary start, uh, absolutely extraordinary. Um, so uh, Bernd Hollerbach, you know, is... is yeah, um, and now I saw a nice stat as well. Uh, again, on Konate, it's quite extraordinary as well uh, that as a central defensive midfielder, he completed uh, the most dribbles uh, of all, uh, six out of the six attempted dribbles as well, so that uh, he really had an outstanding game. I guess uh, he deserves his praise this week. Yeah, I, I can talk about Mori quite a lot. I, I've been a big fan of his for a long time. He's, he's You're right for a player who, you know, quite often is, is a holding midfielder. He likes um, he likes a forward run and he likes to play offensively. And I think that's why he's a good player, actually, because he's um, he's got a number of facets to his game. So, yeah, big big shout out for Mori from, I think, all three of us this week, eh, guys? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think he's been really good this year um, in the midfield. I think he's done a really good job. And I think they've missed him when he's not been in there. I don't think they've got a similar player that can do the same sort of role as him. Uh, they tried Chris Durkin, not quite the same uh, in the sense of what you guys say in terms of like not just the physicality brings, but the, the technical ability with the dribbling and kind of that breaking between kind of lines of midfield and stuff like that, bringing them, dragging them up the pitch, which is quite important. Um, so yeah, shout out to him. He's had a great season and potentially might have a little bit more football to play, but we'll see how that pans out with the next week's matches kind of going down to the wire in that sense. Um, we'll start with, let's start with East Enselang, because that does have a link to this game. And then we'll go to the Mecklenburg-Trike one. Obviously, these two games taking place at the same time. Massive boost for Sarang in this one was uh, before kickoff announcing that Abdi Jallo was back. Uh, the Gambian's been out injured for basically the last couple of months since coming getting injured during the AFCON tournament. Uh, he hasn't really featured hasn't been able to feature at all for them. Uh, but he came on, he came back into the side and seven minutes in, he'd already kind of left his mark on the game. Uh, Morgan Poati with a fantastic ball in between a an Usted defence that was quite happy to let runners just run off them uh, all afternoon. Uh, they were punished this first time. Abdi Jallo then rounded Sherpin and put that one away. And they just had chance after chance after that. Bernie had a couple of chances. Mikatadze had chances. Maziz had chances. But... In kind of typical Salang fashion, they weren't able to find the back of the net. And then probably one of the funniest own goals I've seen for a while in the 39th minute. Um, I think it's a cross from is it Ambrose or Ugahide, Capon, one of the guys on the right-hand side puts it in. And poor Ibrahim Assise has absolutely no one around him. He's under zero pressure, but just lashes it into the back of his own net <laughs> like Deech is just like what is going I'm never going to reach that he just like sticks it in Fant- it was a great finish from him really really good finish but it just felt like a typical relegation threat inside where it's like you've done so well this game and then you just shoot yourself in the foot near the end of the first half because to be honest Ustend were not were not great um Salang wanted the ball more they wanted they looked like they wanted to win the game whereas Ustend didn't I didn't really feel like that. I felt like defensively they were all over the place. I think that might talk a little bit more about this at the end of next week's episode about kind of where East End need to go because I was looking at the squads during this game and kind of the tactical layout and everything like that. I was like, this just doesn't there's this off balance there's no balance in this team. Like who's got what role? Like you've got a very attacking left sided um winger in Sakamoto, then you've got Brett Capon who's 
a right back being pushed further forward. He's also played right centre back during this season. So like, do you want them to both attack? Do you want to do similar roles? Like Ambrose as well and Abanese come in. Like it just seems very disjointed and there's no clear kind of identity that you had under Blessing. Like you knew what people's roles were, you knew who was there to do what, and I just don't think they have that. I think that showed in this game. Thankfully for them, Salang would just keep shooting themselves in the foot, like I said. Um, Salang did take the lead again, just basically 10 minutes into the second half. A ball to the back post that falls to Mikatadze after some poor defending and he puts it in. Um, really, really needed goal. And like at that point, you're thinking you just need to play solidly like they have been. Like Daniel Apare all, all afternoon was fantastic for them on the right hand side tackling, getting the ball forwards, kind of doing the, the hard yards, putting in some good crosses, creating chances. I thought he was excellent for them. Um, he kind of was involved in this goal with the cross to the back post. However, 91st minute, Morgan Prati then gets himself um, sent off. And this he gets sent off on the bench for like kind of complaining um, because poor old, I think it was Dieslam or Dabila, one of those two, I think Dieslam handballs it as the ball is being crossed in by East End in the 91st minute. And initially it's not picked up, but East End know it's a penalty. Like, you could just tell their players, like, you'll go to VAR. Like, you kind of tell the ref, you're going to go to VAR and you're going to give us this penalty. Like, they were absolutely convinced. And Salang were baffled. Like, the, the management seemed very baffled. And I couldn't work out whether they were baffled because they thought, like, maybe a foul had happened initially beforehand. Because... It's an obvious penalty. His hands are so far away from his body when the cross comes in. Smashes him straight in the arm. He's blocked the cross with his hand. It's a stonewall penalty. And yeah, Max Targay steps up 93rd minute, puts it away. And that's Salang's kind of last chance of being automatically safe gone. Definitely in the playoffs. If they can finish, they have such a good chance in these playoffs. They've been there last year. They've got a similar squad. So players have experienced it. They know kind of what to expect from the playoffs now. So they're actually looking in decent shape for it, but very frustrating that they haven't taken it down to the wire because they really should have in this one. Yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it, guys, as far as the playoffs concerned for them? I think it's, you know, it is just finishing their chances. I think it was last week when me and Ben were chatting, we talked about or touched upon the fact that they have the the worst XG uh, differential um, in the league. So they do create the chances. Um they just, you know, aren't, aren't taking enough of them, and to such an extent that it's it's really it's really really hurt them. And obviously, going into a two leg uh, playoff situation where you know the winner takes all, then that there's no there's no second chances. You know, they they you know they have to take some of those chances if they're going to preserve their status. So it's a difficult one to call that actually um, the, the the playoff against Molenbeek. Um But yeah, I, I think from their point of view, Sarangs anyway they. They, they have every reason to go into this game feeling reasonably optimistic about it because actually in the last two or three weeks, on the whole, you know, setting aside their, their inability to kind of convert the chances that they, they, they've been creating, uh, they've been playing pretty well, they've been playing with a good intensity and, and for large chunks of games they've been looking good. They just need that to come together for them at the right time like it did uh, this time kind of last year in, in the playoff. 
um, interesting that it's you know it's the same side in, in in the same scenario, but on this occasion it's it's Sarang that are the the top flight side fighting for their for their status for the playoff this time. Uh, Ustend on the other hand, um, yeah, I think there was a distinct feeling of the season's kind of done, um, not 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 much happening, and I, I think looking ahead to next season for them, there needs to be some kind of injection of 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 quality there. You would imagine because I think there is a there's a feeling that going into next season with largely that same squad, without adding some some quality in, in probably a number of areas, uh, that next season could be kind of quite a long hard slog. Have for you them guys well. just looked into my notes or anything? Because that's all I had on Serie as well. Uh, well, they they haven't lost in uh, three in the last three games, so that's uh, they will be going into that um, play up, play down um, in a relatively good for form i guess we'll have to see what happens next week of course still but at least uh, they they actually can be watching it as a practice run now as well since uh, everything is clear same goes of course for the uh, molenbeek in the end last thing i had on this game uh also stand it's quite remarkable it was also gay's first goal since december that last ditch penalty uh, that pulls them and a few other teams over the line uh, and safe uh, for another season. Yeah, Matt gave is kind of a hero for a lot of clubs, wasn't he? Um, who are very happy that Usted managed to come back into that to keep the ball safe. Sort of Garagem, as we said, open as well. Uh, we'll get into Molenbeek and 1B later, that's for sure. And Let's go to the other game that I know, Scott, you were watching. We decided to split these ones up. And thankfully, we both had some entertainment because usually you get all the entertainment and I get the dross. <laughs> but we both had some. So this one was Kortlaik against Mechelen in Mechelen. Um, Kortlaik with obviously nothing to play for, made a couple of rotational changes to give some of the younger players a chance. Um, ben Chaib, one of those players, and he managed to get a brace. Um, first goal in the seventh minute, a really good cross from, I think it was in Bio towards him at the back post that Coop kind of like flies out to get poor old Van Horenbeek who had the most bizarre game uh, we've got to speak about him he had he just couldn't really do anything because he thought Coop's gonna get it so he's kind of like trying to cover the player and he just hits him in the back he kind of falls over and Ben Chaib's just there to kind of tack it, tap it in uh, so kind of like a surprise lead I guess for Kortrijk in that sense um, they then were like you know what we've got nothing to play for let's just not mark at corners let's just kind of Kind of go zonal and just stand still. Um, so that's what they did. Sandy Walsh was like, okay, if you're going to do that, I'm just going to run to the front post where no one is and just head it in, uh, which is what he did. So he equalised in the 15th minute. It was just terrible defending. It was so bad. So that was one apiece. Uh, Bente then scored again. This one far better than the first one from him. Uh, picks it up on the edge of the box, takes the touch out of his feet and then right-footed into the top corner. Uh, absolute rocket from him. I have to say, Souza was very lucky not to be booked for the tackle before that. He just like really badly controlled a pretty bad. It's a bad pass from Kukout, but he controls it badly. Then flies into a tackle on um, on Mbayo again. And I mean, if Benchie doesn't score, he's probably getting booked for that because it's a pretty horrific tackle. Um, he had an interesting game as well, <laughs> Souza. So that's two one to Courtright just into the second half. Uh, then our man Van Horenbeek does something well at the other end. Uh, really, really nice cross in from him. And it just sits up perfectly for Hugo Kuipers to hit an absolute rocket. We were saying before we recorded this one that if it hit Illich, it would have probably killed him. It was that <laughs> ridiculously fast. It was an absolute... Just don't get anyone anywhere near it. It was that good uh, from him. 
And then three minutes later, Jeffrey Harriman makes it 3-2 to send the fans into absolute raptures, I guess you could say. Um, ball comes kind of played across and Rabti then feeds it out to Harriman's who oh, it's just such a nice finish. Like left foot back. He knows Illich is coming along to his left, so he sticks it to his right. Keepers like shifting, couldn't really shift weight um, to kind of counter that. Um, puts it into the bottom corner. Not the end of the action. Our man again, Van Hollenbeek, then gives away a penalty. Um, initial tackle on Mesadou is really good. Like He does a really nice tackle in the box, but the way the ball deflects goes back to Mesadou, uh, who then continues running, and Hollenbeek just takes him out. Our man D'Souza then runs in and is like, get up, you dived, which he definitely didn't. It's a, it's a stonewall penalty. I don't know what anyone was complaining about. Penalty's taken, actually. Was it Mesoid? Regardless, Kook saves it. It drops out. Uh, Souza comes in to try and clear it and almost puts it into his own net. Pairs there to kind of clear it off the line. Fantastic goal line clearance from him. And yeah, that's how the game finished. Finished 3-2. I mean, Scott, you watched this one. It was like from the, the highlights I watched, it looked absolutely bonkers in classic Mechelen fashion. Yeah, it was a, it was a pretty good game, um, which an awful lot of games are at the Acta de Caserne, um, as, as people will know, largely because of the way Mechelen play. I, I, I thought this was a really good game, actually, for a slightly different reason. Um, Kertraik had a, had a right good goal um, at Malinois for the majority of this game, um, which kind of surprised me um, how good they were. Um, if you let Mecklen get into a flow against you, um, then you know what I mean. You're going to find yourself pushed back pretty quickly if you let them get into a rhythm, and they'll just run over the top of you because of the way that they play. Uh, but I, I thought Kertrike actually tried to play in the front front foot from the start, which was great to see, and it did actually cause Mecklen problems. Um, they started reasonably slow in the game because of this and looked a little bit disjointed and out of sorts. I thought um, I thought Moreno had a had a pretty good game. Ben Shabe, who you've already mentioned, had a really good game. Obviously, getting a couple of goals. The second one, which you mentioned, was was a cracker. A fantastic finish that no one was saving. The way that 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 ball was rising as well when he hit it. Um, made it made it you know almost impossible for for any keeper to to have saved it was a it was a cracking goal that one I think um, and he nearly he nearly had a hat trick actually you know you could argue he probably should have he had a couple of other chances that he should have done a little bit better with um, he had a really good game but I, I was impressed by the way that for the majority of the game Kartrike really took it to Mecklen and that's what made it a good game Mecklen really had to work hard to get back into any kind of a rhythm which they which they did. Um, they're going to create chances, you know, and in the end, actually, they managed to get it over the line by simply just creating more chances um, and, and and taking more of them. Getting a little bit lucky, um, I think you could argue in the end, um, but a good, a good win for them, which obviously secures uh, playoff too. And I think they've they've largely achieved their their regular season objectives anyway. They were very open about saying playoff two was was kind of the the public aim. Um, for a long time, it looked like they could have done better than that, but that's 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 another story now, of course. But uh, re- yeah, really good game this actually, and a, a great advert for um, not only the way Malinois play football, but you know the pro league generally. I think this was this is the sort of football that that, that we Ben Shaib indeed uh, first start for Kortrijk uh, and marking it with two goals. Unfortunately, of course, uh, they lost still, and that also makes it to make a connection straight away. Five losses in a row for Kortrijk. They are the worst team since New Year. They have only won one game, the derby against Sultuarium, since uh, since then. So uh, I guess uh, 
well, they, they've done their job in the first half of the season, but they are actually the, really on a very, very poor form. But um, that was actually not showing that much in this game, uh, as Scott mentioned, though. But uh, ultimately, it still got them nowhere. Uh, yeah, and congratulations uh, to Mechel for reaching the, the Europe playoffs, indeed. Yeah, I feel like probably fans would have been like, yeah, we'll take the 5-0 win over the in the derby over then just chilling for the rest of the season, maybe, I don't know. Um, but fair play, at least they're keeping the games entertaining that they've been involved in. And that's all we can ask for at this point. Let's move on to the evening game, which was Leuven against Antwerp. And blah, blah, I don't know how Leuven didn't score in this first half. They had so many chances. So, <laughs> it was ridiculous. Uh, Butte made like so many saves. I think in the end, they had like, what, like 16 shots, Leuven. And I didn't score any of them. Like, I don't know what was going on down the right-hand side for Antwerp, but the amount of space that was there in those wide areas for like Mertens or one of the other kind of attacking players to move into was just ridiculous. Kind of... Interesting again to see that there was a couple of changes in the Leuven side. Kukarevic came in, uh, the young Ukrainian striker on loan. Uh, he came in for Sori Kaba. You do wonder if maybe if Sori Kaba had been playing, maybe some of these chances would have would have gone in the back of net. Nothing against uh, Kukarevic at all. Um, he didn't have a bad game. Uh, he's quite a big, imposing striker as well. It was nice to see him kind of get a chance to start the game rather than kind of just been sitting on the bench as he had been. But unfortunately for him, he wasn't able to find the net. Unfortunately for Leuven, they weren't able to find the net at all. And I mean, you would not have put any money on this man who did eventually break the deadlock, being the man to break the deadlock, given the amount of attacking players on the pitch. But big Abdullah Sek uh, broke the deadlock in the 39th minute. Set piece comes in, bobbles around a bit, and he's there to kind of like poke it in. Uh, does a little baby celebration as well with the ball underneath. I think Antwerp did improve in the second half. They just... I don't know what it was. These everything looked really difficult for them in the first half, getting to play and like Leuven would like. I feel like Leuven do this quite a lot against the bigger teams. They start really quickly and they just come straight at the block, straight at you. Unfortunately for them, it hasn't kind of turned into results against these teams. They're just not clinical enough. They're not efficient with their chances enough. And against a side like Antwerp, we know that they'll just stick it out. They're good at just kind of sticking it out. They're winning games one nil. They're able to grind out these games and get the win where they really need it. But yeah, this game was. Frustrating to watch from them, but at the end of the day, they get another win. And that's probably the most important thing at this point in the season. Just keep getting the wins, keep yourselves in that playoff one, which they have managed to do. But for Leuven, I mean, they've been exciting to watch when they do this, but it's kind of like a what if. If they'd just turned some of these good performances into wins, maybe they'd have had a chance at playoff two. Come the yeah, end of the it's definitely like a typical game for both the, both sides here, I guess, for this season. That's uh, you, you could just show this game and you will know how OTC the team's seasons went. Uh, Leuven definitely should have scored. And then Sek doesn't even barely know how he gets the ball in at the other end. And, uh, well, then Antwerp pulled out. And uh, Butte has been uh, really crucial again uh, for them. So uh, a shout out to him. Uh, other things to mention. Yeah, Antwerp are now... Uh, be- with other results, uh, certain of uh, uh, the Champions playoffs uh, is now the third team that is certain uh, of participating in that one. And uh, what else? Uh, it's more like a suspensions um, new. So Verstraate will miss two games. So also the first playoff game already um, because of a yellow card suspension. And um, Buda will miss next week's game against Cercle Brugge. 
which is already a bit less important since they already secured the these playoffs now, of course. Uh, although if they want to do something in these playoffs, they will definitely will still have a good go uh, next weekend. It must be a source of some frustration, guys, uh, that that live and haven't managed to pick up more games, uh, points rather, at home this season. Um, they've put in some really good performances um, at home, particularly against the bigger sides, and and not really being rewarded for the, for their level of performance. So that's that's something that kind of continued uh, very much with this game. I do wonder with Antwerp. You know, we, we've talked a lot about you know them getting results over the line without particularly impressing or or even entertaining. More to the point, I think the sort of underlying I don't know if discontent's the right word, but sort of the intrigue that we've been talking about. Uh, for a number of weeks now, at the Bossel is a factor in this um, more more than actually anything that kind of Prisk's doing in a technical sense um, with, with the side because it must it must have an influence somewhere. Interestingly, as well, the the Antwerp fans having uh, some intriguing uh, anti Overmars demonstrations. Um, some of you might have spotted the the inflatable penis in the away end, um, which was a a reference to 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 you know who. So it was nice to see the the fans doing a little of what I talked about last week when me and Ben were talking about this controversial appointment about how important it is that Antwerp fans uh, voice their opposition to this, both um, during games like that, but also more directly to the club. It was it was nice to see it being picked up. I think um, hopefully as a was saying that you know, I mean, they, they're able to take that more directly to the club's hierarchy as, as well. Um, but that was that was definitely more for the 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 media's benefit. But it was it, it was nice to see. But yeah, they've they've achieved the the main objective, um, playoff one, and then um, we'll we'll see how they get on there. I like you uh, both expect a coaching change in the summer. Um, I I I I'd be very surprised if if Pris was still there. We've touched on that as well a few weeks ago, um, and I, I think they really are just waiting now. I think the new sporting director I think changes that completely as well because obviously Brian Prisk is a new boss and and Mark Overmars and and yeah that that that's a a major factor in and and how this will 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 play out. But yeah, objective achieved and and I I you know I I feel for Brian Prisk actually as I was saying last week because he's. You know he's a, he's achieved the objective, but but yet may still be sacrificed for a um, a further objective one or two steps down the line. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting in the summer. I mean, it'd be interesting to see if it feels like Mark Overmars is gonna survive all this kind of like sponsors pulling out and stuff like that, which is just, I mean, yeah, and we kind of said it probably would happen, wouldn't we, last weekend? But also. Um, we didn't tell them to take an inflatable penis before that. If it sounds like me and Scott were like, yeah, let's do that. That's not what we said. Um, <laughs> there's other ways of protesting these sort of things. You don't have to do it with a massive inflatable penis. Um, it's probably more direct ways of doing it than that. Um, I mean, it's going to be an on-running story continuing throughout kind of the next couple of months and over the summer. And I guess, yeah, it depends how much, if there's no pressure added, then it's, he's just going to stay in and, He'll pick a new manager. Yeah, I don't think Brian Frisk will be there. I get what you're saying, Scott, about that he has achieved the objectives and stuff like that and maybe given some more time. But I feel like it's just, it hasn't felt good around the club in that sense, around him being the manager and stuff like that to the point where I think for his own sake, he may be like, I've done the best job that I feel like I've done. 
I'll just walk at the end of the season as well. I'll be happy to go somewhere else, but we'll see. Uh, we'll obviously keep everyone updated with what happens there. Um, I'm sure a position that and for fans would much rather be in would be the one at Union Saint Loire in. I'm sure every club in the league will be in the position they're in at the moment. Uh, they travelled to Liège to face Standard Liège and really, really nice opening goal from them from Teddy Tuma. A little bit of a deflection of Sasako, who had probably one of the worst international breaks you could possibly have, scoring an own goal and getting sent off uh, for Mali in the World Cup qualifications. Um, and for this one to deflect off him into the net, he must have just been like, I've got no luck at all. Uh, kind of like a corner comes in, headed clear to just to the edge of the box. And the first time technique from Tuma, who's been fantastic. He himself had a decent international break, grabbing a goal from Malta. Um, however, that man, Musa Sasako, with the only shot on target for standard, did get them back into the game. Kind of deflecting around the edge of the box, comes off a Union player. He stood miles offside, but it doesn't matter because of who it came off. Sticks it in like a like a pure striker, I'd have to say. It was a really nice finish, and maybe he's the answer to their striking woes. I don't know. Union must have been like going into half time. It's one apiece. Like, are we going to really drop points here against a side that we probably should beat because they've got absolutely nothing to play for? Um, but to be fair, stand up, it was nice to see um, Mehdi Kasseh kind of getting on the pitch for the last time, probably in a standard shirt after the amount of time he spent at the club. So it's quite fitting that Elsner gave him the start in this game. I thought that was quite um, generous of him, quite nice of him. Um, however, it wasn't a happy final game for him at home. Bart Nufkoop uh, heading in at the back post from a set piece to make it 2-1 before Kasper Nielsen finished it off in the 83rd minute with another great goal from him. And that's how it finished 3-1 to Union. Away fans happy, players happy. Slight concern probably from the club with Teddy Tumor going off injured. Uh, we're not sure what kind of the damage is there, but hopefully it's nothing major, but it didn't look didn't look good at all. Um, so fingers crossed that he'll be okay come playoff time. Good win for Union. Keeps them ahead of Club Bruges with the kind of form Club Bruges and they really did need to win this one. Yeah, I think um, there was always a feeling while I was watching this one that Union had a little bit more about them, you know, offensively. I, I just felt they were going to get more chances and uh, they, they were going to get it over the line. Obviously, they had to lift it in the second half, actually, um, to do that. And the, the, the chances came and, 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 and they took them. Um, I had a feeling that Standard just weren't going to be able to hold out, to be honest. Um, and it's difficult because when, when when Union are kind of bearing down on you like that, and admittedly they've not been obviously at their best over the last few weeks, um, they've been doing enough to pick enough, enough points, obviously to keep their noses still in front at a, at a point where, albeit the gap has has reduced, it's 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 enough to be able to go into that um, and have Dante Van Zier come back in and hopefully be able to go up that another another level again. Um, you know, for those those final kind of playoff games. Um, interestingly, uh, Felice Mazu saying just this week publicly for the first time anyway that um, yes, it's on. Um, we're going for the big one. We want the big one. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of come late. Uh, we obviously know that privately, um, 
you know that 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 was the stated aim um, a long time ago. You know, as er- as early as the autumn, um, you know, the squad were were having conversations around that. You know, we we know from some of our contacts that that that, that was the case, and and you know, you could tell because of the way they were playing that was the case. You know, they're very well motivated and man managed side. But yeah, I always felt Union had a had you know a couple of extra gears in them to to get the result here, which which they did. And standard, you know, just uh, their their seasons petered. Now, interestingly, the new owners were were at Slesson, um, and I think uh, I think today was their their first full day with their feet under the desk. Actually, so um, I wonder what was on 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 their their. They still have to sign, today. otherwise they will. Sunday will not get the license. So I hope they did that for uh, definitely. Well, they did sign, but they, what is it? I, I'm not so as definitely as a non English uh, speaker, but not so. The closing still needed to be done. So I guess the signatures are there, but some. Minor details or administration details still need to be the order, but okay, I'm sidetracking here. Um, yeah, um, yeah, so quite routine win, I guess, as well for Union, uh, which is still a weird thing to say against uh, a standard side. But then you look at standard's home record; they they will end the league uh, this season as the second worst home team, which is another weird thing to say from <laughs> uh, coming from Sclesen, uh, which is usually well quite difficult to take but this season it has been uh, quite differently uh, for sure and uh, well for Union a few set piece goals so that's uh, always nice we know they're strong on them and uh, they they added two on them not maybe straight away from the set pieces in the case of uh, Turma but still and uh, last league also um, I keep con- con- congratulating, uh, congratulating teams so congratulations you know for the first place after the regular season and uh, the European tickets that's uh, that is secured there uh, of course they will be hoping to up the tickets for sure but at least uh, they will go into Europe next season and that's uh, well that part is certain now yeah and I mean not to kind of keep banging on but what an achievement I guess um when you think just promoted straight into Europe, I mean, if you'd offered that to, to Alex and the guys um, running the club before, like we spoke about when we spoke to them, they'd have taken that. So anything else is just a bonus. But yeah, congratulations to them. Let's move over to Bruges then. Yeah, we kind of spoke about the really nice kind of thing that the club did beforehand for Miguel Van Damme and then everyone wearing the shirts with Miguel's name on the back during the game. I thought that was a really nice touch. Um, however, the game didn't start the best for the home side circle. Um, Ghent taking the lead, Takti Sudali, who else, on the third minute, putting them ahead. However, Thibaut Sommers equalised almost straight away at the back post uh, from a set piece. Touch and go with VAR as to whether it was offside, took a long time to check. But however, it was given and that meant it was one all. However, Ghent then took the lead again. Uh, this time, the other striker, Laurent de Potza, celebrating his new contract with a really nice, easy tap-in for him at the back post. Um, in between that, chances for both sides, really, really up and down game. Uh, uh, Wallison made some really good saves for circling goal. Been impressed with him uh, since he's coming for Didion. I think he's a, a decent shot stopper. Um, not bad everywhere else. Yeah, good, bright young keeper. Circle pushed into the second half we go, uh, circle pushing, and it was Thibaut Sommers again, that man in the 81st minute getting the equaliser, and the celebrations just kind of summed up the day for Circler. Both times that Thibaut scored straight to the bench, all the players around each other, holding up the 
the uh, goalkeeper top for Miguel Van Dam. Very emotional day for them. Uh, someone who let the emotions get the better of them a little bit was on the other side uh, in Hull Saga. He's breaking when a counter-attack, kind of cynically taken down by uh, Leonardo Lopez. I don't know what he's complaining about with this red card because as Lopez comes over the top of him, he just kicks him out, kicks out. Hill Saga just kicks at him, kick, gets him in the head. And it's a straight, it's an obvious red card. Referee's seen it, everyone's seen it. Straight away, red card. He's complaining about it. I just don't see what the complaint is, to be honest. I mean, no, it's a cynical foul from Lopez, but it's a sort of foul that happens all the time and you have to be kind of composed and not let it get to you. And to then just kick out someone while they're coming over the top of you just seems a bit stupid. Despite having 10 men, Circler weren't able to break them down and find the winning goal. Finished two apiece, uh, entertaining game. For Ghent, it's actually not the best of results given the kind of race of playoff one and we'll get into what Anderlecht did just after that. Means they now drop out into fifth position and leapfrog them into fourth given their win. So I guess, guys, before what we knew happened with Miguel van Damme, looking at this game, you were like, well, Circler don't have much riding on it, so there's not much in it. But that all changed with the news that we had. And you could tell that this was a game that meant so much to them um, going into it. Yeah, this was this was a, a pretty good game as well, actually. And I, I thought this could have been a game of the weekend uh, before the game started. And, and um, it didn't disappoint, actually. I, I felt that the way that both sides have been setting up this season, and particularly across the second half of the season, that um, this this could be a really good game. You know, Circle so much better offensively these days, and and, and difficult to play against physically as well. You know, they are, um, you know, one of the top top competitors when it comes to the physical sides of the game now in, in, in Belgian football. And they're playing here, obviously, a side who statistically are the best side defensively. Although Union have conceded uh, less goals, when you pick apart some of the individual stats around. Uh, duels and tackles and things like that in different areas of the pitch then Ghent are, are, are excellent for the most part defensively so the, the two qualities that these sides have become really good at um, particularly in the second half of the season as I was alluding to there really I thought we, you know, we're playing into the hands of a really interesting game. Ghent, Ghent the better side I thought in the first half actually marginally finding more space uh, created a little bit more circle upped it after half time and had a right good go themselves and uh, really did try to win it actually after after the red card as well. Helped of course by the fact that there was eight minutes of, of stoppage time. Um, you know, when you see that going up and you're playing against ten men, you think, okay, let's, you know, let's have a right good go here. And everybody was shooting from every possible angle, um, you know, to 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 try and uh, get their get their moment of glory. But yeah, a good game this actually and and I really enjoyed it. And I think, you know, it was interesting to hear Dominic Talhammer a few days ago and his his pre-match press conference talking about the impact of uh, Miguel Van Damme's uh, death had on the squad and, and the atmosphere in training and, and you know he, he wanted to emphasise that you know the, the only thing they could really do um, in a positive sense was was to go out there and be professional and to play their best football um, and uh, as although Ben was saying, although the game didn't start well for them, um, they, they they went out there, and I, th- I think they did do that. I think they didn't let the the sadness of the occasion um, and the preceding few days, I think, um, affect their performance at all. And and um, that 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 was great to see. Yeah, it's a bit unreal uh, that they had to play like a day after the funeral of of uh, their teammates. But Circle definitely did well uh, and honoured him uh, that way. 
I suppose Somers scored twice out of only three shots on goal for Cercle. I know this doesn't tell the whole story because they had a lot of uh, near shots on goals and uh, a lot of chances uh, out of, outside of that. But still, that's uh, quite efficient from those shots on goal for sure. Um, unfortunately, also from Cercle's point of view, then um, they are now officially out of the race for the uh, Europe playoffs because uh, yeah, they needed a win uh, to stay into in that, uh, as it turned out. Gent's seventh uh, to go to Gent. Gent's seven game winning streak stopped here. Uh, Samoas' shot on the bar as the last action of the game might just also have thanked their champions, uh, champions playoff chances. Uh, of course, we'll uh, still have to see how that turns out. It's one of the big question marks uh, for next w- weekend still. Uh, more worrying news for them is, of course, uh, that Vadis got injured. Um, it might not be a coincidence that their first half was really good and the second half was a bit less good, or at least uh, they let Circle uh, get more into the game. Uh, since, uh, yeah, as I've touched on that a lot already, Vadis is so crucial for them. And um, let's see how uh, how it goes with his injury this time. It's not the first time. And uh, let's see how it goes. I'm also stressing this because, of course, they have a big game coming up uh, yeah, outside of the league in the cup final in a, just a few weeks' time. Um, also, Jules now got suspended. Um, I guess we'll have to see how what the extent will be. The, the two plus two games are as asked, so two uh, games straight away and two games. Well, if uh, if, uh, if if he does something, if he gets another red in the in the foreseeable future, we'll have to see because I, I'm sure Hint will appeal that and uh, try to get that down. But uh, that are things to consider for the cup final already as well. Um, but I'm sure he won't be there for the last game already as well. Also, they have two important games uh, to play uh, really in the upcoming weeks that will uh, define their season, maybe even. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think if Addis isn't there, that is a massive loss for the cup final and kind of the run-in uh, next week because he's when he's there, he is like he's just so important to everything that happens and obviously when he's been injured they still have managed to kind of play well but they are a much better team when he's there and on song let's talk about the team that leapfrogged them then uh in Andelect and I don't know I found it was quite funny um just a couple of hours before uh, a Dutchman was performing well in a sporting event much to the displeasure of Belgian fans uh, in the Tour of Flanders, uh, Mathieu van der Poel winning was not um, to everyone's liking. A friend of mine sent a video. He was at the Tour of Flanders, and um, let's just say the crowd was very silent around the big screen uh, when that happened. However, <laughs> in the capital, a Dutch man in uh, Joshua Zerxi was putting in a much more happier display for everyone in the Lotto Park. They absolutely smashed past Charleroi in this one. Four um, 0 could have been a lot more. <laughs> Will Dowding on the commentary was like, <laughs> I think there was a point where um, Charlois had an attack and someone misplaced the pass and even he groaned. He's just, just <laughs> like, I want to see something that's a little bit more equal. Um, and yeah, I can understand that from Will. It was just a classic. You're just like, oh, come on. Like, you could, even as a commentator, he had to say it. Um, but fair play for that. It was, yeah, a very dominant display from Andalek. Kwame had a couple of chances early on. Um, finally did get his first one after... A rare mistake, I guess, from Herve Coffee and made a couple of good saves before this, but a little bit of kind of faffing around with the ball uh, when kind of came to the back post, not really gathering it properly. Fell to um, Yaviskaran, who, rather than shooting, teed up Kwame, who put it into the back of net in the 20th minute. After that, 
couple more chances for Anderlecht, more saves from Coffee. Um, went in at halftime, only 1 0, too much to everyone surprised. Then that man, Josh Berserksy, finally got on the score sheet. Really, really nice finish into the far corner after being released. Uh, Amuzi then came on, he got a goal in the 79th minute. A nice finish from him. And then Mario also got in on the act in the 86th minute to make it 4 0. Could have been a lot more. Again, another injury worry with Rascaran going off early in the fir- uh, midway through the first half, and Ashimiru obviously being injured as well for Anderlecht. Thankfully, I know Scott, you spoke about this in the WhatsApp group, and we kind of had a chat. Like Olsen and Cullen were really good to start the season and through most of the season, and Ashimiru came in for Olsen when he was injured and kind of excelled and kind of took the spot from him. Which I guess as a coach is one of those great things where like you put in a player, you hope he can do well, and then he plays so well that you can't drop him. But you know that in your back pocket, you've got that player that you've relied on previously to come in. So Olsen came in and I guess that partnership was back together again. So not the worst thing that could happen, but Ashamu was playing really well. Obviously, with the cup final coming up, they want to have him back. Charleroi still can't beat top teams, um, but this was a great performance for Anderlecht, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, um, I, I don't think, technically anyway, I don't think there is a side... Um, in the Pro League, who on their day when they're really up for it, um, have uh, the quality of passing and movement that Anderlecht do. They're very difficult to play against when they're when when they're playing like that. Um, and actually, they played Charlois off the park. I thought really, it, it, it's not so much that it was poor from Charlois. It was more about how good Anderlecht were technically. I I thought they were absolutely excellent. Everybody linking up really really well and. Such an important time of the season for this to happen as well, with everything kind of peaking and with the cup final coming up. Um, wisely, Rasharan coming off um, to to protect him. I think he felt he felt a tweak. I think in his thigh muscle when he was on international duty as well. So it's it's kind of been a hangover from the training sessions around that. I think um, that that obviously has been aggravating a little bit. But you know, wisely they're 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 protecting him, and I think we would all have done the same. But yeah, Anderlecht, I thought were were fantastic and I, I really enjoyed watching them and, and it's interesting because I think sometimes it takes them a while to get in their groove and the first sort of third of the season was was a bit slow and sluggish for them um, as, as a large chunk of last season was but they have they have definitely found a recipe and a consistency now and and, and are starting to play really well again uh, and I think that is partially down to that 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 settled lineup. I was saying to you guys wasn't it before the game that I thought that starting 11 in my view actually was had proven to kind of be their, their strongest generally over the course of the season and um, it turned out that way with, with a fantastic performance that second goal Zurchi's goal is just absolutely beautiful two passes less than 10 seconds and you know what I mean it was it was it was in the net it was just you know absolutely sumptuous football and, and uh, big Vinny company had a a pretty big smile on his face on the touchline for for most of that game and and I can completely understand why because they were they were great to watch this weekend yeah, you guys said almost everything I wanted to say. Or actually, they, you did actually even say everything I wanted to say. But uh, I'll just back up with a little stats then, I guess. Anderlecht had 20 shots, uh, 7 off target, 11 on target, 3.93 xG. So they even when they scored 4, they didn't really outperform. So indeed, it could have been more. And uh, also, to stress that on the other side, Charleroi got one shot. A blocked shot from outside the box amounting to a total of uh, 0.07 XG throughout the whole game. So really, uh, 
a totally dominant performance of Anderlecht in uh, illustrating that with these numbers as well. Yeah, it was just, yeah, complete domination. Um, not much else to say about that one. Uh, however, then Genk were like, you can score four, we'll show you how to score five. Uh, they put five past Urban a few hours later on. Uh, Ito fouled in the 10th minute. Uh, big Paul Onowachi stepping up to put away the penalty. Uh, then another chance with another penalty. Uh, I think it was Wazowski fouled on this one. Uh, he put that one away as well, so that's 2-0. Half-time. Ito then got his goal in the 46th minute. Onowachi, after Heinen got a goal in the 68th minute to make it four, and then Onowachi finished off with a hat-trick in the 79th minute. Um, thankfully for Erfenek, they were safe before this game, so not much riding on it, but still not great to just go out and get absolutely pummeled um, by Genk. But for Genk, I guess, Joris, you were kind of talking when you were previously on about how you didn't really want them to make playoff two because then you'd have to keep watching them, but... It, that kind of performance showed that maybe they do want to make it into playoff two as a squad um, side. And I guess if they perform like that in playoff two, who knows, the gap may be too big anyway, but at least it gives you a little bit of confidence if they do make it into playoff two, that they've got that sort of a performance in them. This was not a great performance by Higgs, so I don't think so. You clearly did not watch that game. (laughs) 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 Because it was really a very boring performance. I I only watched the first half, but then I actually fell asleep. So, (laughs) 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 So, well... Uh, you can almost take that literally, but yeah. Also, well, of course, you don't have to take my, all my words too literally. Of course, uh, I, I won't cry if they make the the playoff. Uh, it it seems likely that they might. They have everything in own hand at least still. But yeah, Onoacho getting a hat trick is probably a nice thing to mention. And um, well, he's he's looking for making twenty goal uh, for the second um, second season running. Frey already did it. Uh, yeah, Onoacho might also get there. Uh, which would be a nice personal feat for him, and and yeah, it really like what I have to say. I kicked five nil, and it still was not a good game. So you have to give it to both teams. I guess it also had to do with Urban indeed being safe, and they missed some people. So uh, Hink really didn't need to go into a second gear uh, at all. I also felt like the second penalty. Well, it was a light one, a cheap one. I don't think that would have... I would be outraged if uh, if I was open and it would still matter. Now, I guess they can take it a bit uh, more easily. Um, but Nora, the one last thing is uh, Kelvin John making his first team debut uh, Tanzanian. So that might be maybe more also in your alley, Ben. Uh, and, uh, well, Nemeth also yep. got a few more minutes, so that's good. And... Uh, yeah, Oyen getting a start and an assist. So, but he was not great in the first half, the part that I've watched. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm glad that they won. They're glad that they uh, scored five. But really, like if the the 4-0, four nil from Anderlecht was way better than this uh, one from Yank. <laughs> I think Joris is uh, definitely right. It wasn't. It wasn't ultimately the the greatest of performances, despite what the scoreline suggests. Hence, why our resident Genki perhaps fell asleep um, during the game. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I think you know when when you look at this game, actually, you know um, the Genkis kind of exceeded their xG actually, so um, they created lots of chances as they normally do, and actually uh, scored with a battle load of them this time for for a change. First time in a long time that Big Paul Onoacho has been quite so uh, rampant as he was here, uh, but uh, with the chances that were kind of coming their way because Upin were already, you know, on, on their holidays then, you know, he was just kind of chomping them up. On a personal note, um, another big shout out from me to, to young Luca Oyen. Um, great to see him getting another start. 
absolutely outstanding young player. Uh, he's got a, a huge future ahead of him, um, and I just love seeing him getting starts because I think I love him. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I don't think there's not not much not to love about that young prospect. He's definitely going to go on to do some good things, and hopefully, if they do make it into playoff two, we get to see a lot more of him because that'd be a perfect chance just to play kind of those younger players. But we'll see what happens. We will also kind of we'll look ahead to the games that are important coming up a little bit later on. Uh, firstly, we've actually got a reasonable amount of news to go through. We'll start with the Beneliga. Do most people's delight that's dead in the water now? I think well, after we spoke about it, we did keep kind of giving the kind of caveat that the Dutch sides had to agree, and they haven't agreed. So that's that for now. The kind of no surprises the there. No. Yeah, I mean, it was always going to happen, wasn't it? And they've kind of said that we're going to go and look at how we can make Belgian football more competitive and better and stuff. And it's like, just focus on that to begin with, maybe. But let's see kind of what comes out of that. I don't think we really need to talk about it much because it's dead. So it's kind of like, that's good. Um, I don't think any of us are really fans of it coming in anyway. And I'm sure by the sound of it, neither were the Dutch clubs. So... Let's kind of see what other stuff they come up with with kind of ideas and we can kind of talk about that. Then we'll speak about 1B and the news that came out of there in a little bit when we go to Scott. We do have, it hasn't been completely confirmed by the club yet, so kind of take this with a little pinch of salt, but it looks like Eve van der Hug is going to be given a new deal with Oostend. Um We spoke a little bit earlier about kind of the club and like the situation in terms of revamping the playing squad and stuff like that, but Initial reaction to that, guys? Do you think it's the right decision to make or do you think it's just going to be another case of halfway through the season, Eve will be out of a job again? Well, it's interesting. Um, I, the Usten fans that I've spoken to are not excited by this news and, and the general feeling that, that I've kind of got from, from the fans I spoke to is that actually they, they would like to see a change because they don't feel that the the way the side's playing is, is, is going to be enough to, you know, have a dramatically positive impact on how their season could kind of go next next season either. So it's not exciting those uh, Coost boys that, that I've had a conversation with. Not surprising. I did think they would stick with Eve. I thought the temptation to do that would be um, ultimately too strong. Personally, I'm a little bit disappointed they didn't go for, you know... Um, you know, a younger coach who who's quite passionate about working with and developing young players because we know that the model at Ustend is a, is a club that, that wants to develop young talent um, over a course of time, which inevitably they will then sell on for profit. That's the understandable and the correct model for them to have. And and I think, in all honesty, I think Eve is Eve is a good coach. There's no doubt about it. But I feel that there there are there are other coaches in the game probably who possibly fit that that model just a little bit better and could arguably get more out of um out of the ingredients a little bit more so we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens next year yeah i agree with that i suppose in a sense it's a logical decision but it was an illogical decision to take him in the first place so yeah mm. that even it's other out it maybe but since they are now safe maybe that was already talked about then, I presume, as well, a bit, uh, not necessarily in writing or in the real class, but that, that, that the option would be there and that uh, otherwise Van Dragen maybe would not have taken the job in the first place. I'm just um, speculating here, though, but I can imagine such thing happening. Well, yeah, not the most exciting appointment, but we'll see what, what it brings, of course. Uh, 
yeah, who knows what happens in, uh, for next season with Austin. Yeah, no, I completely agree with both of you. Um, yeah, I can imagine you're probably right there, Joris, in terms of he'd have taken a job with the opportunity to take it on again in the following year. Um, yeah, I guess it's not really exciting because we've seen him before uh, in that sense. It's always nice to have like a new manager come in and be like, okay, what's their style? What's this all about? But yeah, we'll see. Maybe a good summer and they'll have some success and he could push them back up again. I don't know. But I think when you go from Blessing, who was really exciting, new, fresh, to someone you've seen before, it would kind of jar me as a fan. I'd be like, but we had such success that way. Why are we now going this way? Um, it just seems a little bit of a disconnect between the visions there. But anyway, we'll see what happens there. Outside of the national, uh, the domestic scene, sorry, we have also had the World Cup draw. Uh, so we'll get your reaction to that, guys. We've got some pro league interest, I guess you could say, with Canada being in the group. Obviously, uh, Buchanan, uh, Jonathan David, who was here previously with Ghent as well. Also, we've got Morocco to attack TC Dali, uh, getting involved in there and a couple of others, potentially, if they're still in the league at that point, who knows? And then Croatia as well. I guess with Croatia, it's kind of like the kind of starting to get into that transition phase in terms of like some of the more experienced players moving on, some of the younger players coming through. So kind of interesting to see where they're. But Joris, I'll go to you first, obviously, as the Belgian in this podcast. What were your kind of immediate reactions to that draw? Well, that the group stage draw doesn't matter much, but that we're screwed for the later <laughs> stages. So in the end, it doesn't matter. <laughs> that 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 is the most important part of the draw. And well, the group stage—it's not the easiest group stage, I have to say. I'm, I will we'll, we'll have, definitely have to fight to get through. It's uh, indeed Croatia is a bit in a way comparable to uh, the state that the Red Devils in are in at the moment. Uh, maybe I'll be a bit further in that stage as. I think they should be able to take them. With Morocco, I suppose we should be able to take them. And Canada, it's it's difficult to say. Um, they have these um, nice prospects, but I also heard already that as a team they or as a, that their games are not that not always that exciting to watch as you would expect with these players um, tactically. But I'm sure we'll uh, dive a bit deeper and uh, have to do more some, some more research on that later on. But uh, well, it's at least. A group with um, some teams that we don't usually play against, in Morocco and Canada at least, Croatia. It's been a while as well, not that long, but uh, yeah. A refreshing group in a sense, uh, of the, in sense of opponents and afterwards it will be tough if there is an afterwards, of course, but let's presume so uh, for now. Yeah, I think Joris has highlighted the main point actually that I was going to bring to this and that is I think the group draw itself is not too bad. I think Croatia is obviously the tricky one, but the way the fixtures fall in terms of the way they're going to be played, I think um, obviously helps the Red Devils uh, with, with kind of Croatia coming last as well. So much of the outcome of the group will be known by that point, you would imagine. Anyway, yeah, the big point, you know, that yours was highlighting, I think, is the thing to take away from this. That is, they are in the tough side of the draw again. Conversely, I suppose, you could look at this and go, well, if they're going to do anything and have a good run, um, they're going to have to do it the hard way, uh, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I, I personally would always rather that because I think the temptation to look at, okay, we're in the better side of the draw sometimes can can kind of go against you so the bottom line is you have to be in your game if you're gonna if you're gonna do anything i still think they're gonna be favorites for the 
group um, and, and, and should be um, interesting uh, that Bobby Martinez had a bit of a brain fart moment immediately after the draw when um, he said it felt it had you know all the ingredients to be one of the best World Cups ever, um, which made me wince slightly, but um, I'll put that down to him being very excited post-draw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Didn't you say something about like we've had two wonderful years since the last, like four wonderful years since the last one, or something like that? Or was that someone else said something? And it was like, what, what's going on over there? Like, what's happening? It was, it was, you know, it was a kind of a, just yeah, bizarre brain fart moment of kind of sport washing and, and <laughs> trying to separate the politics from the football as well. And I just, oh, I, it just made me cringe a little bit. But he was very excited. He was. He was very excited. He is an ex- he's an excited man, isn't he, Old Bobby Martin? He does get excited about things, and he's clearly a lovely guy. Everyone loves him. Yeah. Everyone loves yeah. Robin Martinez. But um, we could speak for hours about sports washing in Qatar and the World Cup, couldn't we? Um, but I don't know. I think yeah, my kind of reaction to it is similar to you guys. I think with Ka- the one thing I find about like someone like a Canada is when a team hasn't or a nation hasn't been at a World Cup for as long as they haven't been, which is like decades they always come into it with such energy and they can always be the easy bogey team because they are the team that comes in with literally no fear, nothing to lose, all that sort of stuff. So they're going to be an really interesting one to see. I've seen a fair amount of Morocco and they have some really nice players technically, some really good technical players and all that. But final third has always kind of let them down when it comes to like World Cup. Like last World Cup, they played some great football just didn't have a top-end striker to put the chances away. They've got some good strikers. They've got Anders, who they've obviously got Tisu Dali, who we know about, but... Whether that's going to be enough at a World Cup, I'm not sure. Um, again, they're more used to conditions potentially, so there's always that kind of factor that you should play into it. Um, given me and Scott were actually talking just before this about how for the African nations going into World Cup at this time of the year, it's kind of like going into an AFCON because it's halfway through your domestic European season if they play in Europe. So they kind of understand what it's like to go leave your kind of cold European football and go somewhere a little bit warmer potentially and play tournament football at high intensity usually on worse pitches than what we'll probably have in Qatar so it'd be interesting yeah like with a side like Morocco arguably not the strongest of African teams but how they adapt or how they come into a tournament that's very similar in terms of when it's positioned to AFCON so that's kind of my two cents that I think Belgium will win the group I think Joris you've just kind of mentioned it before and I see you probably mentioned it just now kind of like injuries as well for Belgium with the kind of age of the players and the key players like that's so crucial having everyone fit is like massive um for every country I guess but for Belgium with kind of the key players being the age they are um that would be important I think that's the thing as well guys isn't it actually that's a really really good point actually that Joris kind of was touching on about the the injuries and the fitness levels because you know doing well at a tournament for any nation is all about peaking at that particular sort of three or four week point, all of the preparation in the you know the two or three years leading up to it, um, is is important. But actually, it's it's all about that month when you're together. And this World Cup's unique in that obviously you know leagues across Europe are gonna are gonna stop mid campaign in the middle of their European winters to go and play a World Cup in an entirely different climate. And players are gonna have in a lot of cases less than a week's rest before the tournament starts. So there's there's all sorts of implications for for players' fitness and and um how how this tournament could kind of pan out, which obviously can affect Belgium just as much as the other sides. But Ben's point about the African sides is a good one as well. Um I th- I think they have 
a slight advantage, you could argue, in terms of their preparation because there's a lot of uh, geographical specific training that if this World Cup had been happening during the summer, which it couldn't have because of where it's been played perversely, then there would have been, you know, extreme weather training in the build-up to this, much like there was with the World Cup in in America in 94. Um, so to come in to, come into this, um, you know, with, with no break and no specialist preparation is, is going to add a whole layer of complexity to this, which which will come back to neither the time, won't we, I'm sure. Yeah, and then, again, that injury point, like, there will be crazy months of schedules um, in, in all leagues around the, Europe, at least, um, in, in the months up to that uh, World Cup. So I would actually not be surprised if many big players will uh, struggle against even more than usual uh, than you would expect. Yep. Thanks, FIFA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we'll get there when we get there, I guess. Thank you. We've got the domestic season to look forward to next year before that all happens. And we'll see how that kind of impacts and everything. One thing we do know already about next season is who's coming up. Uh, that was confirmed. So Scott, over to you for 1B and I guess... The final implications. Yeah, well, well, one one B this weekend was was full of jitters. I think all of the top sides uh, dropping points and and losing unexpectedly in most cases, and it didn't quite pan out the way it looked like it was gonna before the game started this weekend. So scores round up as usual. Leers uh, beat Beveren 2-0 at home in a game which we should point out was actually marred by yet more fan violence, unfortunately. Leers fans attacking visiting Beveren fans, um, some of whom were hospitalised um, after a firecracker you know, exploded um, in the away section, which is just you know, kind of awful, uh, actually. And, and we're going to hear more about this, I, I suspect. Um, that result obviously kind of ended ended Beveren's season effectively ended their their, their hopes of, of being able to to kind of catch Molenbeek for that for that playoff spot, um, and it's another season of one B for for, for Beveren. Uh, Lommel managed to win two one at home against Westerlo, which is a fantastic result for them. Actually, they only needed a point to guarantee their safety, but in the end they got all three because Westerlo had jitters of their own despite taking the lead in that game. Verton uh, won two nil at home against Muscron. It's amazing what happens when you're relegated and the pressure's lifted. Um, and Denza got a very good 3-0 win in at home against um, Molenbeek, which was slightly unexpected as well. So um, the top three all having uh, jitters of, of different kinds this weekend. We now know Western Lower champions kind of by default, not through winning, but through Molenbeek's failure to, to get what they needed this weekend. Um, so we'll, we'll talk more about them soon. Molenbeek has we know have secured the playoff spot now and will be playing Sarang um, for a 1A place next season. So those two-leg playoffs take place on the 23rd of April and the 30th of April. So a couple of big games to kind of watch out for there. And that that should be kind of quite a close tie, that, I think. Yeah, there should be a good game between those two. Um, Yeah, the Lies thing's just like, I'm surprised that game kept going after the incident. Um, like, it sounds really bad, like people like hearing issues and all that sort of stuff. I feel like something like that should kind of be a, let's suspend this game and come back another day potentially, or like behind closed doors, it, if you know what I mean. Like, especially with some such um, importance riding on it, um, given the result 
if it had gone to Beveren. And the way results obviously went with Molenbeek losing could have had a massive implication. Obviously, you don't know whether if that incident doesn't happen, whether Beveren do win the game. But I can't imagine your fans being attacked, helping you on the pitch, if you know what I mean. I feel like that would kind of mess with you a little bit, being like, well, what's going on here? Um, hopefully, all those fans do recover um, from this. And it's, yeah, scenes we really don't want to see uh, in Belgian football, that is for sure. Yeah, I think I think the game was stopped for around 20, 25 minutes, which is a good length of time. I mean, I think the the referee's report to the Pro League is, is probably going to be key here mm. in terms of what happens next because obviously he has to, to justify in more detail why he felt the game was, was okay to kind of continue. I know there was a feeling from the Beveren camp that, you know, their their heads weren't in the the right place to really continue the game. Um, very difficult for them, though, because if you think about it, if the referee decides um, that it's safe to continue, they, they have two options. They either continue, um, as they did, and they were already 1-0 down in the game at the time, actually, uh, which I suppose is is important in itself. But um, the the only alternative to that is to say no, we're we're going to walk off here because we're we're not happy, and and then you're kind of in forfeiting territory, kind of automatically, really. Um, so it, it was a kind of no mm. no win situation for them, um, really in the end. But I, I think Lears have got certainly big big questions to answer around sort of security and stewarding, um, and have almost certainly got I think some. A sizable fine or potentially uh, being forced to play some games behind kind of closed doors next season as, as, as a result of that as well. Anyway, let's move on then to next week. And I'll quickly run through the fixtures that are coming up and then we'll just chat a little bit about the ones that actually matter. Two have been moved to the Saturday, the ones that are massively important. Uh, it's Upend again. Upen against East End uh, at 5.30 UK time, so 6.30 Belgian time. Then Antwerp against Circler following that in the evening. Then Sunday, every game taking place at the same time. So 5.30 if you're in the UK, uh, 6.30 if you're in mainland Europe. Union against Beerschot, Ghent, Leuven, Charleroi, Zoltaval again. Kortrijk, Anderlecht, Club Bruges, Mechelen, St. Truden, Standard, Salang, Genk. Obviously, Union and Club Bruges games matter in the sense of how big the gap is going to be between those two. Union will hope that they can do what Club Bruges did to Scott and put them to the sword. Mechelen, Club Bruges, interesting game there because we know what Mechelen are like. Um, they'll want more as many points as well, given the playoff two implications with the halving of points and stuff. So they'll want to make sure there's a smaller gap as possible to, with the chance of getting into Europe. Ghent, Leuven, obviously Ghent have to win if they want to get into playoff one. Um, they'll then be hoping that Quarterlight turn up like they did against Mechelen, but can actually get the win against Anderlecht in that game. And then we have St. Sudan Standard and Salang Genk. They're kind of fighting it off with each other, but if they both win and Charleroi lose, then Charleroi are at risk of dropping out uh, on games one. I think I've made the mistake a billion times in the past on this podcast talking about goal difference, but it's not it's games one, then goal difference. Uh, at the moment, Charleroi, Genk and St. Truden all on 14 games won. Uh, Charleroi are three points ahead of both of those teams. Um, but obviously, if they lose and those two teams win games won, they go ahead there. Um, Anderlecht and Genk also both have the same amount of games won. So if Anderlecht draw and Ghent win, Ghent would then go into playoff one. And obviously, if Anderlecht lose, Ghent win, they go through. But either way, Ghent have to win to have any chance. I think... 
that's pretty much it, isn't it, guys, in terms of the ramifications for that. Um, quick little prediction. Do you think that this kind of as the playoffs are at the moment, so playoff one, Union, Club Bruce, Antwerp, Anderlecht, playoff two, Ghent, Mechelen, Charleroi and Genk. Do you think that's going to be the final or do you think we've got a few more twists coming? I think it will stay as it is. Yeah, no. boringly <laughs> enough, uh, I, I agree with that. <laughs> oh, it's hoping for some excitement. I think even if it does stay the same, I think at some point during the weekend, during these matches, they'll, something dramatic will happen. One team will either keep their position right at the very end or save themselves right at the very end from that. Of um, it will. It's I, Belgian football, of course it will. <laughs> going to be some chaos. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised that Antwerp lose against Circle, but well, they just secured it because they if uh, so Andrecht could jump of, uh, above them and Gent could equal them, but then again this rule of uh, games one um, well is always going to be in Antwerp's favor. So um, yeah, th- that's that kind of spice uh, has, <laughs> is a bit out of it now. Uh, it would be a real surprise if Charleroi gets gets out of playoff two now um, as well, and I it's not impossible, but. I don't think it will happen. No, they've got sort of again, and I mean the way Zulta played against St. Luden, you can't imagine they're gonna really turn up in that one. Um and with Charlo only need a point, they should be fine. But yeah, anyway, as always, guys, thank you very much for joining me. Good to sit down with you guys. I'm I'm away now to uh, work out how I'm gonna work my double or in some cases probably triple screening of the games next Sunday, the way the <laughs> fixtures have fallen. See you soon, everyone. Yeah, buy more screens. That's that's the option. <laughs> yeah, I will definitely be stealing the wife's laptop, my work laptop, all the laptops I can possibly find and sticking them all onto some games. Um, anyway, there's so many games to watch. We hope you find the time to sit down and enjoy them. We don't know which ones are on Mola TV for those of you in the UK yet, but once we do, we will let you know. Hopefully some of the ones that have ramifications, not just some random games that they just pick sometimes, which can happen. Um, obviously, if you're outside of the UK, you can catch them on one football app as well, um, if you're lucky. As always, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. If you like what we do, please do leave us a review on your podcasting app of choice. You can also get in touch with us. It's at Belgian Podcast on Twitter. We're all there individually as well. I'm at Benjack94. Scott is at Scott underscore coin and yours is at yours underscore Beck. Alternatively, you can also email us. It's BelgianFootPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks once again for listening, everyone, and we'll see you very soon on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast.